Well, if you're not familiar with the, the whole book of Acts or, or you're new to New Hope, let me just briefly try to summarize what has happened up by touching on just a few highlights up to this point. Before Jesus left the disciples, before He ascended to the right hand of God in heaven, He told them, go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you receive Him, then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. And so we've been tracking the disciples as, as they've been fulfilling what God said, what Jesus said, what He told them to do. They began in the temple, and from house to house throughout Jerusalem, the teaching that Jesus truly lived and died and was raised from the dead. They made it clear that Jesus is the Messiah, anointed by God, but murdered by wicked men, just as God had ordained it to be so. We've seen the apostles move from Jerusalem to the far reaches of Judea. We've also paid close attention to the response that various people had, especially the Jewish people, as they heard that Jesus is the Messiah who purchased our forgiveness. And so it began with 120 or so disciples, quickly multiplied into thousands of people who were devoted to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and to the sacrificial giving so that none of them had any need. They provided for each other. It was a, a bond of, of brotherhood in this beginning of the church of Jerusalem. Jesus said, as He was with His disciples, He told them, I am building my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And certainly they saw the forces of hell attacking the church as the gospel was being proclaimed and the Holy Spirit was working, producing many signs and wonders. The Jewish leaders wanted the apostles dead. They wanted to crush this movement. There were attacks from the outside, but we also have seen that there have been attacks from within as well. Had that in this strange but powerful story of Ananias and Sapphira, whom God struck dead at the feet of Peter because of their hypocrisy. But then what we didn't look at, because we haven't been able to look at everything, was in Acts chapter 7 when the, the first potential church split occurs, or chapter 6 rather, when the people accused the apostles of showing partiality toward the Jewish-speaking widows. So the apostles told them to pick seven of your men who are known to be full of the Spirit, and we will appoint them to this task. So basically, the first diaconate was chosen and appointed to take care of these widows so that the apostles could focus more of their attention upon the ministry of the Word and prayer. And what happens we're told as this repeated phrase, and the word of the Lord spread. It continued to spread. And then in Acts 7, the Jewish leaders arrest one of these first deacons, a man by the name of Stephen, who had a spotless reputation and a fervent zeal for Christ. And after they murdered him, we're told that a great persecution scattered, spread throughout 
uh, the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So the, the spread begins. But the believers did not merely run to save their lives and go into hiding. No, quite the opposite. They spread out. They were scattered, but they continued to preach the word. They continued to proclaim the glorious good news that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, but rose again and is alive. Just like Jesus said that they would do. And so Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria were hearing the word of the Lord. And now it's time for the church to spread to the uttermost parts of the world. And so at the beginning of Acts 6, or Acts 8, we're introduced to a young Jew by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who oversaw Stephen's execution. Saul was educated under Gamaliel, one of the highest respected rabbis of the day. And by the way, Saul's name, as is commonly misunderstood, was not changed to Paul at his conversion. It was typical in that day to have two names. Saul was his Hebrew name, his Jewish name. Paul is what he was called by the, 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 his, his Greek or Roman name. And, and so it's the same guy. It wasn't a, a, a change of, of name by God, but it was a radical change of the man. Saul was known as, as a fervent. Uh, he was a, a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee, a man that, that had a zeal for the Jewish faith. And now he acquired a taste for blood. And the Jewish leaders of Sanhedrin recognized his passion and his zeal, and they weaponized him by giving him letters of recommendation so that he could go to cities surrounding Jerusalem, into other synagogues with their authority to find anyone else who was worshiping Jesus as the Messiah and arrest them and persecute them. It was on such a journey that Jesus actually appeared to Paul and radically changed him. So after several years then of preparation, God was ready to use Paul to bless the church. Then comes Barnabas, another key figure in the book of Acts. He was sent by the apostles in Jerusalem to go to the city of Antioch, where the gospel had spread, where the people had been scattered, and a church was, was, was thriving, and they sent Barnabas to go to that church and see, what's, see what God is doing among the Gentiles. And Barnabas goes, and he knows when, when, when seeing what God is doing that he needs Paul, that Paul would come and, and would preach and teach in this church, and that God would use him to equip the church to go even further. So after spending a year or so there, God calls Paul, Paul and Barnabas to go. And that's where we come now to what is commonly known now as Paul's first missionary journey. In our passage this morning, we, we pick up the story after they have already traveled through, throughout the whole island of Cyprus and then sail on to what we know now as modern-day Turkey. Because of their love for the Jews, Paul and Barnabas, it was their practice to go first to the synagogue of a city and proclaim Christ there. And so we find them there in Acts 13, sitting in a synagogue being invited to share, as they said, a word of encouragement. And Paul stands up and delivers a message that basically is a 
retelling of the whole Bible. He starts with Moses and the prophets and all the way to John the Baptist and then concludes with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But I especially want to draw our attention to what happens after this strange ending to, this, to a sermon. And the response that we see of the different people will help us be prepared for how people will respond to us when we walk by faith in, this, in the Son of God. But ultimately, we need to recognize that, that it is not really about Paul and Barnabas, nor is it about you and me. But God was at work through the gospel, and he always provokes interesting responses. Look at the last paragraph again of Paul's sermon, beginning at verse 38. He said, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, obviously referring to Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said of the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Now, I'll come back to that in a moment. But listen to the response. In verse 42, for example, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And in verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And then in verse 45, we read that the Jews were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul and reviled him. And so what we see in this passage is how a, a fan, a fool, or a follower responds to the work of God through the gospel. The work of God through the gospel. Paul and Barnabas were welcomed into the synagogue as teachers. They boldly proclaimed Jesus. And when they left, people followed them home. Some believed. Others wanted to hear more. But there were some that rejected him. So what happened from one Sabbath to the next that nearly the whole city came out? Well, obviously, people started talking. They started telling their neighbor about what they heard. You've got to come hear this guy. And the place was packed. Now, obviously, in a, in a church like that, we would be amazed and rejoicing if that were to happen here. But in that setting, it's a little different. Here is a, a synagogue of the Jews. A few Gentiles would have been tolerated, even appreciated. But a mass display of them? People who had never had any interest in the message of God before, now all of a sudden show up? But such was the interest and the curiosity of the crowds when they heard the message. And so first, we, when God's at work through the gospel, some will be fans. They'll get excited and they'll, they'll, they want to hear more. Tell us more. It appears that Paul was a, a dynamic, powerful preacher. And when he spoke about Jesus, it piqued people's interest. Even Gentiles, they wanted to hear more. But there, there's also, we need to remember that there's, there's no indication that Paul and Barnabas had done any miracles up to this point. 
They entered the town. They went to the synagogue. They sat down and were invited to preach or to give a word of encouragement. For a preacher to captivate his listeners so they want to hear him again is proof of his effectiveness, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they agree with what he says. There are many churches that are bursting with people because of a dynamic preacher who has the ability to capture people's attention. But there's so much more that is going on with Paul than merely a dynamic personality. They followed Paul and Barnabas home and kept talking to them about the message. It even says that they urged Paul and Barnabas to continue in the grace of God. Keep preaching. But at this point, it's still somewhat unclear if their persistence was a sign of genuine belief or not. Did they really believe? It would become clear on the next Sabbath. Clearly, though, their curiosity was a motivating factor, right? They wanted them to come back so they could hear more about this message that Paul was preaching. He told them that he and Barnabas were the fulfillment of the prophet Habakkuk through whom God declared, I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells, you, tells it to you. That comes from the prophet Habakkuk, hundreds of years before Paul and Barnabas came on the scene. And Paul says that prophecy is being fulfilled today. The people wanted to know more. What is this great work that God is going to do, that, that's the point of verse 42 that we read. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. What are these things? What is the work that God is going to do that is so amazing that we would not believe it even if we were told that it happened? You've got to come back and tell us more. They were amazed. But it's not evident whether they truly believed yet. Many of them quickly join the Jews who give us the next common way people respond to God as he works through the gospel. Some will respond as fans. Others, in the case of the Jews, will respond as fools. Look at verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And then skip down to verse 50. The Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. What caused such an intense reaction? He's simply preaching the gospel. He's giving them good news of forgiveness. Why such an intense reaction? Well, we're told it was pure jealousy and prejudice. Who do these men think they are to come into our city, into our synagogue, and cause such a commotion? Look at these Gentiles. They don't belong here in our synagogue. They resented that salvation was made available to the Gentiles. Nothing could be more infuriating to the Jews than to say that the blessings of salvation were to be extended to the despised Gentiles. They're also filled with jealousy that the city, the whole city apparently was excited to hear Paul and Barnabas, but apparently they were not interested in the teachers of the synagogue. 
Tragically, those who choose to reject the gospel, Paul says that they consider themselves unworthy of eternal life. They bring condemnation upon themselves by their own choice. I mean, think about it. After centuries of waiting for the Messiah to come, his own people rejected him and the salvation that he brought. It's the same response that Jesus received from the Jews in John chapter 5. Jesus said, the scriptures testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Well, due to the hardness of their heart, they refused to believe and proved themselves to be fools. There's a little book that I, I recommend to you for your own reading that, that handles this very difficult topic that we come to next. It's called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, written by J.I. Packer. It's just a little book. It'll take you a while to, to, to uh, completely, what's the word, take it in. But listen to what he says. Man without Christ is a guilty sinner, answerable to God for breaking his law. That is why he needs the gospel. When he hears the gospel, he is responsible for the decision that he makes about it. It sets before him a choice between life and death the most momentous choice that any man could ever face. And he goes on to explain how this is the problem. It's that man in his natural condition will never accept the gospel until God grants him a new heart. We can hear Jesus teach the same things all throughout the gospels. But in John 6, he makes a succinct statement that captures it beautifully. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Now, when he says no one can come, he does not mean that no one is permitted to come, but rather no one is able to accept Christ unless God intervenes. Some of you may have had a, a fourth grade teacher like mine, Mrs. McDonough, uh, I, I liked Miss, she was my favorite teacher. In fact, I got to have her a second year, not because I failed fourth grade, but they, they moved her to sixth grade. And so when I moved into sixth grade, eventually, I got to have her again. She was my favorite teacher. But she would stare and pierce bullets through you uh, if you misbehaved. I, I respected her. I loved her as a teacher. But she had this oddity, and many of you, I'm sure, had teachers like this as well. If I asked Mrs. McDonough, Mrs. McDonough, can I go to the bathroom, please? She would say, well, I'm sure that you can. But what would you really like to ask me? And I have to say, Mrs. McDonough, may I go to the bathroom, please? Yes, you may. There's a big difference, isn't there, between the ability to do something and the right to do something. Jesus says, no one has the ability, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Now, that's tough to grasp. But the point that Jesus was making and what we can see in the response of the fans and fools is that man is incapable of responding to the gospel. He's incapable to repent and believe until his heart is changed. And that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work through the gospel. 
And that leads us to the last response. When God's at work through the gospel, some become believers, become followers. In contrast to the curiosity that turned quickly into hostility, many of the people who heard that salvation was offered to them began rejoicing. This stumbling block to the Jews resulted in rejoicing among the followers, among the, the Gentiles. In verse 48, it says that they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, which simply means they, they recognized and received Paul's message as the word of God. They were glad and rejoiced, but the sincerity of their faith was shown in the fact that they glorified the word of the Lord. This is the response of those who become followers of God. To glorify the word means that they received it and believed it to be the word of God, and they exalted it and placed themselves under it. They humbled themselves before the word of God. They honored it above themselves. Now, that's easy to understand. I think it's easy to embrace, that that's what a follower does. He hears the Word of God. He places himself under the Word of God. But the second half of verse 48 is where it gets very difficult for many. And, and no doubt will cause a little heartburn. First, let me say, there's, there's no other way to, to, to read this verse. Almost every translation puts it the same way. It may say appoint, it may say ordain, it might even say mark, marked out, but it means the same thing in nearly every translation that you, that you have. Luke wrote, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Let's break that down a little bit because that, this is really tough to grasp. Who Who was appointed? Many of those who heard, but obviously not all who heard. There were some who left as fans and some as fools. Not all became followers. However, there were some who were appointed to believe. Okay, so some, but not all. Well, then next, and very importantly, who did the appointing? They were appointed. By whom? Paul? I clearly cannot be. Later in his ministry, Paul would write to the Romans and tell them that he would rather, personally himself, he would rather be condemned by God if it meant that all his Jewish brothers could be saved. If, it, if this is referring to Paul, then all of them would be appointed because Paul was so passionate about his Jewish brothers believing and having salvation. Now, obviously, it refers to God doing the appointing. That God appoints some to believe. God changes hearts. The late Dr. R.C. Sproul once wrote, you cannot get away from it. That is what Luke wrote. And that's what Luke meant. The only reason anybody was saved out of that ungodly mass of people who were blaspheming and criticizing the preaching of the Word of God 
was that God intervened in the hearts of his elect and translated them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Maybe it would help if we remembered one of the parables that Jesus used. And I won't go into all of it. We're running, we're going long as it is. But you remember the parable of the sower. You remember how Jesus taught about a man sowing seed, that some seed fell among rocky soil, some seed fell on hard, compacted soil, other seed fell on weed-infested soil, other, other seed fell on the good soil. The question is not, how do you find the good soil? How do you, I mean, what, what, what marks somebody out as good soil? No, the question is, what makes the soil good? What changes that soil from rocky or weed-infested or hard, compacted ground into good soil? What changes the soil? In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We are not saved by our own choices. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God changes hard, rocky, weed-infested soil into good soil. Paul would later write to the church in, in Ephesus that he began. In, Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, he said, But because of his great love, talking about God, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, by grace we have been saved. By grace. So what happens in Acts through those who receive the word with gladness. Well, in verse 49, we read, And the word of the, Lord, of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Evangelism always follows salvation. Those who were fans joined the fools and drove Paul and Barnabas out of the district. But those who were appointed to eternal life and believed became followers. They spread the word. Followers share their faith. Antioch was no exception. As always, faith comes through the hearing of God's word, and Antioch was not turned upside down because Paul preached on self-esteem or social issues or was such a dynamic preacher. They were changed because God the Holy Spirit gave them new hearts, took their heart of stone, and gave them a heart of flesh. Warren Wearsby, another popular preacher, explains this, difficult, I think, difficult concept beautifully. He said, Acts 13.48 gives us the divine side of evangelism. God has his elect people. But Acts 13.49 is the human side of evangelism. If we don't preach the word, then nobody can believe and be saved. It takes both. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10, right? Faith comes by hearing. But how does hearing happen? By the word of Christ. By the power of Christ changing your heart. God is working. He's working in history to accomplish his purpose. And a key component of that is bringing many people to a saving knowledge of his son. His work on the cross and his resurrection demand a response. He died for sin. He died for my sin. 
His resurrection defeated death and provided us the way to life eternal. Not just in the, here, in the blessed hereafter, but now. The perplexing reality of proclaiming the message of salvation is shown here in Antioch where many people will reject the offer of good news. Many people will think, this is amazing, this is wonderful, but will have nothing to do when it comes to repentance and actually committing their lives to it. Others are going to reject you, reject you outright. And yet there will be many people who will receive the word with gladness. It is perplexing. But regardless of the response, Paul and Barnabas remained faithful to preach Christ and invited people to believe in him and be saved. That is what a success in evangelism looks like. Just be faithful. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You can't tell if the heart is hard or rocky or weed-infested or good, ready to receive the word. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is simply plant the seeds. God produces the growth. The invitation is still today. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be, see, you will be saved. You will receive the forgiveness of sin and, and welcomed into the family of God then you can take the message of salvation to your community and beyond as well. Oh, may, the, may our gracious God raise up more servants that will go, go into the far reaches of the world 